Well, for those of you that are maybe here hanging out for the first time with us, my name is Brad, and uh, like Brent, I'm one of the pastors here at B4, and uh, it's good to be back with you this morning. I was gone last week, and uh, I, was, I was gone because I went last week to Spokane, uh, where I have a wife, and... Uh, <clears throat> And children, actually, and uh, I, I say that more for myself than I, than I am for you, because uh, this last couple of months, we've been living in two different places and going back and forth, and sometimes I need to remind myself, but uh, we have a house there that we're getting ready to sell, and so I just needed like four days together to just do projects with Sherry. Actually, she's been, she deserves a vacation. If you, when you meet her, and she looks really tired, that's why, because she's been getting our house ready to sell without me, but uh, I decided to go up there, and it had been a long week. I'd actually spent a few days away with some of our directors here at B4. We've been doing some strategic planning for the years to come, and, uh, and then I just buzzed home. I grabbed my dog and a fresh set of clothes, and I headed to Spokane, and it was uh, middle of the week last week. By the time I got to Troutdale, I knew it was going to be a long day. Um, I'd already been driving for three hours, and, and now I get to Troutdale, and, um, and the, the weather just started to hit. There was sleet, and, there was, and the wind was blowing, and it, you guys have driven in the gorge in that kind of weather. How many of you have done that. And you just know, you know, I thought I'm going to be so tired by the time I get there. It's going to take way longer than I thought. So I start heading down that direction. Um, I'll give you more details on that part of it a little bit later. But about 6 p.m. is when I roll into the Tri-Cities. You guys know where the Tri-Cities are? I don't know if that's, you know, if everybody knows where they are. They're not very big, but uh, I had to like lump together so we'd know what they were, like Tri-Cities. But uh but I got to the Tri-Cities about 6 p.m., and it had been snowing all day there. And by the time I got there, the wind was just blowing, and the temperature was 19 degrees. And as I came down into the Tri-Cities, it was a wasteland. There were no cars. There were a few semis. I went to a Starbucks. It was like me or maybe one other person in, like, the main Starbucks. And the people were really happy to see me. It was really strange. And so I got my coffee, and I headed out of town. And as I headed out of, out of the city, as soon as I hit the highway, I noticed there were emergency lights up ahead. And so when I got up there... Um, somebody had gone off the road and rolled their vehicle multiple times. And they were standing there next to it. They looked like they were okay, but they were sort of assessing the damage and the, the highway patrol was there. And, and I thought, that person um, doesn't know how to drive in the snow. They must be from Portland. And uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I am trying to get used to you guys in the snow thing, but uh, it's cute. It's cute for those of us from that direction. But I went like a mile or so down the road a little bit further, and there's another car off the side of the road in a ditch, and another um, highway patrolman is there with that person in that car. And, uh, and I was like, another person from Portland. And then, uh, I, not, I'm not exaggerating, I went about two or three miles down the road a little bit further, and there was a third car off the road. And so I just thought, these people need to learn how to drive, right? Uh, and so here I am in my big F-150 Ford truck, and I just kept plowing along at 65 miles an hour. Uh, I'm calling people on speakerphone, talking, not noticing, you know, I'm like the only car on the road, with the exception of a couple of semis. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, a gust of wind hits my truck, and my truck just sort of slides sideways with the wind. And I pumped the brakes, and when I pumped the brakes, I realized that didn't work, and suddenly it dawned on me that I was on an ice skating rink, not a road anymore. And so really quickly, I, I started to slow down. The person I was on the phone with, I chuckled and said, I'll call you later, and just sort of hung up real quick. And then I brought my speed down, like 25, 35 miles an hour. Um, there were a couple, the semis were going that same speed. And I just realized, like, now I've got a long road ahead of me. And so I actually called Sherry after I kind of realized the conditions. I said, hey, babe, uh, I, this is going to be a lot longer than I thought. And I'm probably not going to get in for like an hour or two later than what I planned. And here's the situation. And it was like that the whole way. It was just really bad roads. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So, so now I'm in the car. It's me and the dog and lots of time to think. 
And I'm thinking about things, and all of a sudden it dawns on me that this whole thing I'm experiencing is really an illustration for this series and why we're pausing in this time of year to do the series that we're doing. Um, See, we started talking about the soul at the beginning of the year. In fact, all around B4 right now, there's a a book that we're reading in different groups and classes. It's at the Discipleship Center called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And, uh, And the reason we're doing this, the reason we're emphasizing this, is that this is really an illustration for our life, that most of us are living in a world or in a time right now where the conditions of life have become increasingly treacherous for us. Um, we, we are living at a speed and a pace, and just the demands on us and the complexities of the day and age that we live in, they have us stressed out. The circumstances sort of have us running at the fringe of who we are. And all around us, we can actually see it. There's wreckage of other people's lives in the ditches around, around us. There's, there's neighbors and there's family members, there's friends, maybe even our own lives. We see things and we go, I don't understand how that stuff happened. But the answer is, it's, it's our soul. And so we need to slow down. We need to pump the brakes because if we continue down this highway of life with the pace that we're going and we don't pause to talk about the soul, then we will have catastrophic results around us. In fact, Jesus talked about this. He talked about it a lot. Um, We already mentioned this in the series, but Jesus said literally that you and I can lose our souls. In fact, quite literally what Jesus said was, what does it gain you? Uh, What does it benefit you if you gain the whole world? What does it profit you if you have everything but you lose your soul. Now, when Jesus says we're losing our soul, he's not talking about some sort of cosmic destination where we land. When he talks about losing our souls, he's describing an acute condition. He's actually saying, no, there's something wrong with you. And there's 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 symptoms that point to this sense that you and I are living in a lost sort of place. We lose a sense of our souls. We lose a sense of who we are. Jesus is saying there's a condition that you and I can live in where suddenly we're going through the motions of life and we're doing all the things of life, but we actually don't feel alive. We actually feel disconnected from who we are supposed to be or what we're supposed to be doing. There's this, this thing that happens inside of us. And, and Jesus says you, you lose it. And it's not like losing your tooth where you just kind of move on with life and grow another one. It's more like losing your keys or your wallet. Has anyone lost their keys or their wallet before? It's okay. Raise your hand up if you've lost. How many of you have misplaced your keys? You've lost them? You lost your wallet? Okay. Anybody other than me do it this week? So this week on, on Tuesday, I lost my wallet. And, uh, and I'm a little strange. I've done this before. And uh, I've been down this road. And so when I first realized my wallet was missing, um, the first thing I did was not cancel my cards. Because I always figure, well, what if I find it? And then I went through all that hassle. So I just open up my bank accounts and sort of monitor them off and on to see, like, is someone shopping at Nordstrom on my account, right? And so I just am checking, checking my account. And, I, and then Wednesday rolls around, and I kind of look in a couple of places, and I'm thinking where it might be. And, and I just kind of thought, well, I'll, I'll find it. I'm going to find it someplace. I just don't know where it is. And I also can't eat or get gas. But that's a whole other issue. Um, <laughs> So, so I'm going through Wednesday, and then Wednesday comes to a close. I kind of go back home. I'm like, it must be here at home. I dig through everything. It's not there. And I think, well, on Thursday, I'm like, it's got to be in my office. That's the last place it's got to be. Or maybe it's in the car. I'll check there again. So Thursday, whole thing. I actually enlist other people to help me, which is, you know you're getting desperate when you want other people to look under the seats in your car, <laughs> right? You know, and it's my wife's car now. I didn't bring my truck back down. I don't know what's under her seats. 
I don't know what kind of things are growing in there, but I had friends. Will you help me look? Because I'm starting to get desperate. Friday morning I wake up, still no activity on my accounts. Me just knowing at some point I must have been on the phone and talking to someone and I set my, my wallet someplace. I don't know what I did, but it's missing. Finally at 2.30 on Friday afternoon, I, I just threw in the towel, mainly because I need gas and food. And I just canceled my cards, and I went and got replacements. In fact, I went and got a new wallet, and I have one card in my wallet. I feel like a junior hire <laughs> with their, their first school ID. I'm like, I'd open it up. I don't even have a driver's license right now. Um, so so, so I've, been, I've been living in this state of just knowing that it's there somewhere. Nobody's stolen it. Nobody's using it. But it's someplace I just don't know where it is. When Jesus describes you and I losing our soul, that's what he's describing, not like it's gone, you're not going to find it, it's just gone. No, it's that there's this sense that you and I have that, that it's there, but we just don't know where it is. Like we're trying to put our finger on it, but we just can't find it. It's like there's something off, there's something missing inside of us. By the way, um, when do you notice that you've lost your wallet or your keys? When you need them, right? When do you think we notice that we've lost our soul? When we need it. When all of a sudden the circumstances rise up and we go, where are, what's going on, what's wrong with me? So it just reemphasizes the need for us to be talking and diving in to this issue of the soul. We start to realize we need to be talking about this. And unfortunately, we don't talk about this. It's rare that we do. And the church, because it's, the church is still influenced by the culture around us, we tend to, gravi to gravitate towards information. We think if we've got some sort of issue, well, then educate me, give me more information. Or we, we lean towards um, strategy or, or some sort of execution plan that we can lean into. And the reality is the only way that you start shaping your soul is to care for your soul, to actually talk about your soul, to lean into these sorts of things. And because we don't talk about it, because we're not doing these things, um, there's this sense that we're missing something. In fact, I'll just, I'll say, I'll speak on behalf of Pastor Alex, and I know um, for myself, I've had a lot of people come up to me the last couple of days, uh, last couple of weeks, and say, really grateful that, you know, that you're doing this series, or really grateful that we're talking about this as a church and other places too. Um, I really need this. And you know what I say to everybody? Um, when they say, like, thanks for the message, this is what I just, it's me too. It's all of us together. If you're feeling disconnected from your soul, if you're feeling like you've kind of lost some sense of something, that is a universal experience. In fact, not only is it universal among us, it's universal in humanity. Um, we have this weird tendency as people living in our culture today, we like to look back in time and we think that, like, other people in other times didn't experience what we experience. Like, we're the first ones that have ever done this, right? That's just sort of a malfunction we have in our thinking. And yet what's interesting is if you look at the Bible, and even if you just reduce the Bible to a, an incredibly accurate account of ancient civilizations living in a particular time or place, if that's what you want to reduce it to and say, here's this historical accurate book that does this, even if you were to do that, you couldn't help but see out of the text of the Bible that the soul is continually the subject of humanity no matter what century or, or generation a person lives in. We all are wrestling with this. All of us have this sense that something is a little bit off. In fact, last week as Pastor Alex was, um, was sharing out of Psalm 42 and I was listening to his message and really great exegesis of that, I just I couldn't help but hear that that psalm just sort of captures how we feel. Just sort of captured what, what's going on. In fact, I just want us to remind ourselves of it this week by just hearing again Psalm 42, the first few verses. Literally, the psalmist writes and says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God, my soul, is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mazar. One of the things I love about this psalm is the way it just captures the way the Hebrew people talked about their faith. There's sort of a rawness to it. There's sort of an openness about this, a transparency to it. He sort of knows, he's admitting, like, I know there's more to life than my circumstances. And he's saying, I'm longing for something. Yes, I have life and and to-do lists and all the things, the responsibilities of my life, but there's something more. And he's just expressing this. And he actually says it to God, like, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? And he's, he's just expressing, I'm in angst. But then there's this dynamic in this where he says, God, where are you? And we tend to see in our culture that that's an expression of of doubt. Like he's saying, God, where are you? The reality is he's actually expressing and pointing to the object of his faith. When he says, God, where are you? He's saying, I have this angst. And God, I tend to believe that you're the only one that can resolve this thing that's going on inside of me. And so this questioning actually reveals his faith, where he's looking to solve what he desires in his heart. This is the tension that I believe we're we're living with. This is why we're trying to resolve this and talk about this in this series. And so today I want to talk about what the soul wants, and then next week I'm going to talk about what the soul needs. And uh, yes, um, that is a Christina Aguilera lyric, (laughs) just so you all know, um, what the soul wants. Not the soul part, but what a girl wants, what a girl needs, you know, isn't some of you, you can ask your grandkids about that one, but um, I'm not going to sing it for you because I'm not Brian Sell. So, um, so, so this week I want to talk about what does the soul actually want? Um, the soul wants or desires certain things, and when we understand what the soul wants, it actually starts providing a framework through which we can start to address things in our life. In fact, some of us, we may talk about some things today, and you're going to look back at some things in the past of your life, and you might have some vocabulary for things that happened in your life because of this. And then others of us, we may look at our future, and because of this say, I'm about to encounter a situation or scenario, and this is going to inform something because this reveals what's going on inside of us as as human beings. So there are lots of things that our soul wants, but there are three primary ones that I want to hone in on this morning. And and the first one is really revealed in things that we say. Um, We we use vocabulary all the time that reveals something about how our souls desire certain things. Um, For instance, have you ever had somebody say to you, I feel like my life is falling to pieces? Or have you ever heard someone say, I feel like I'm coming apart at the seams? That language is really interesting language. In fact, maybe you've sat with that person, and as you've looked at them, maybe you've thought, I actually had no idea. They may not even look like it on the outside. You may have observed, and then, and then have you ever had this happen where someone shares something like that, and you're actually surprised because from an outward perspective, everything looked like it was okay? All of those things are pointing to those types of phrases being the language of our soul. That, that person that's saying that is actually talking about something that they're feeling inside of them, like there's something going on, there's something sort of broken, there's something wrong. In fact, that language really speaks to um, something being out of rhythm or, or, or being fragmented or being um, 
being disintegrated. In fact, I love the word disintegrated because um, integration is this idea of things being synchronized, working together. Things are integrated in a way where they're supposed to be. And disintegration means that they are not integrated, right? That these things are running independently. They're not actually operating the way they're intended to. When we use that sort of language, what we're revealing is that the soul wants to be whole. The soul wants to be whole. And if you're taking notes, it's a great thing to write down. That the soul desires integration, not disintegration, and it knows when it's not. Um, The psalmist in Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Everything. There's this sense of my soul wants all of me, right? It's this all-inclusive nature to things. Um, we, we discussed earlier in the series the various parts of, of a human being, the various aspects of what it means to be human, that we have our will and we have our mind, our thoughts and our emotions, that we have our body. And, and, and this is encompassed in this thing that we call the soul. The soul is sort of all of it together. And when we talk about wholeness in this sense, what we're saying is that we are designed in such a way that our choices and our thoughts and our desires and our behaviors, that those things would all be in harmony with each other. They would be integrated with each other that they'd be aligned, that they would be synchronized. So so God designed you and I. He actually made us and created us in a way that all of these parts would actually be in harmony together. And when it's not, we actually feel it. We say things like, I'm coming apart at the seams. Now, I love music. Um, In fact, I love all sorts of music. I'm really eclectic when it comes to that. I also love percussion. I love the drums. I love the drums in a band. I like percussion in a symphony. Um, But let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard somebody practice the drums? (laughs) Right? Have you ever noticed, like, you hear it, and you're like, wow, that's just, like, have you ever had, like, that's not a fun neighbor, by the way. Uh, But when someone's practicing the drums, it's almost incoherent, right? It doesn't make any sense. Whether it's a symphony or a band, the drums on their own, you're just sort of like, what's going on? I'm not sure what that is. It isn't until it is synchronized and layered with everything else the way it's intended to be layered that suddenly they make sense and they come to life. It's just banging and clanging until suddenly it's integrated. That's exactly what's being described here. When our soul is integrated, it makes sense. And our soul is driving us towards wholeness. So when we are able, when our will is able to oversee and and direct our mind, when, when, when we actually can control our bodies, when all these things are working together, there's wholeness. We know it. We feel it. It's like we we say things like, I I can't put my finger on it, but I just feel really good right now. That's because we're integrated. So, So your soul is pressing for this, but that's not the only thing. Secondly, the soul wants to be full. And I want to make a distinction between fullness and wholeness. Um, When we talk about wholeness, we're talking about integration. But when we talk about fullness, we're actually talking about satisfaction. So your soul wants to be integrated, but then your soul also wants to be satisfied. Um, And we understand something of this from a physical standpoint. Um, All of us, uh, I think, have stomachs in the room. And, uh, and if you have a stomach, you have this, um, this thing that you call hunger. And when you're hungry, um, there's always those moments where you have that embarrassing thing that happens where your stomach growls, right? And then you also, your body is sending signals to your brain that says you need to put food in your body. And so if you listen to the hunger, then you do those particular things. We know what it's like to satisfy hunger. Uh, I will say that for me, that impulse is a little bit more overactive at times than others, if you know what I mean. But we know what it's, we know what it's like, right? Hunger triggers you to do something, you satisfy it, and then you move on. Here's what's really interesting. Our soul 
senses emptiness better than our stomachs. And how do you know this? Well, all you have to do is look around at people. Look at your own life. Look at the people around you. When my soul is empty, what does it do? Well, it doesn't growl. When the soul is empty, it desires, it has needs that it begins to pursue. Desire and need, that is the equivalent of a stomach growling for the soul. I just know that I'm empty. Now I just suddenly want things. I need things. I have to do something to fill this or satisfy this craving that's inside of me. That's the way the soul works. So so, so here's what's interesting about this. We're limited in every other way of our lives other than one particular area, and it has to do with this. We're limited in our intellect. Um, we, We can't know and think about everything. All of us are limited in some capacity. I know some of you, that's a shock to you. Um, we're, we're limited physically in our strength. We're limited in our, in our energy. We're limited in our mortality. But there is one place where we are virtually unlimited, and that is in the context of desire. We have unlimited amounts of desire at our disposal. We need. And what happens is, when your soul feels hungry, if you will, it craves and desires something to fill it. And so we want more of things. Maybe it's something as simple as time. I just need more time. And so we want more time. We want more money. Or we want more pleasurable experiences. We want more relationships. We want more of this. We want more of that. And suddenly our soul begins to do things to try to satisfy this thing that's going on inside of us. We, we even come up with these other ideas that reflect our, our, our malfunction in thinking. We say things like this in our culture. You've heard someone say this. I'm just looking for my soulmate. What are we saying when we call someone our soulmate? Well, what we're saying is we're putting an expectation on a human being to do something in my soul that another human being was never designed to do. Actually, just saying I want that person to fill this hunger, this longing that I have, they're they're never going to be able to do that. But our soul says fill it with something, do something. Our, Our soul wants to get to the point where it can sort of push away from the table just like we do at dinner and say, okay, I've had enough. I'm full, and it won't stop until we find it, which has incredible implications on the third thing that our soul wants, and that is freedom. Our soul wants to be free. Um, This is why we have a visceral response when another person tries to control us. This is why we fight when someone tries to take our freedom. This is why we refuse to admit, and check this out, this is why we refuse to admit it when the things that we used to try to fill the void in our souls have now taken us bondage and now control us. We won't admit it because that means we're violating our desire for freedom. And so we get caught in this cycle. We can't bear the thought that the thing I sought to fill me has now taken my freedom. So the soul wants all of these things. It wants to be whole, it wants to be full, it wants to be free. And then at some point you have to sit back and say, okay, so then why the malfunction? Why do we do this so wrongly? What happened in all of this? And and, and the answer to that question is really simple. It's not simplistic, but it's really simple. The answer is sin. What happened is sin. And I'm talking about sins. I'm not talking about individual behaviors. I'm talking about human brokenness. That's what happened. 
Um, the, the story of the Bible, when you open your Bible, the very first pages of the book of Genesis, it explains the why of our malfunction and our dysfunction and why our soul runs in these different directions. And I know all sorts of people, they have various... Um, from various ends of the spectrum, have perspectives of what Genesis is about, and most of them miss the plot that Genesis really begins to simply answer the question, how did we get here? How did we get in a spot where we can look at our human culture around us and say, there's a lot of brokenness around us. What explanation, what narrative do we have to unpack that and make some sort of rational conclusion around that? The story of the fall, when you open up the Bible, really reveals what we sense in our souls. Something is broken in my being, in my very nature. And it explains why our pursuit of wholeness and why our pursuit of fullness and why our pursuit of freedom can actually wind up leaving us fragmented. How come I do these things and end up the way I do? Well, there's this broken thing inside of us. You and I, are, we are embedded in a story of broken humanity. And unfortunately, we're fairly critical actors in this story. We're active participants the beautiful thing about this larger narrative that God is revealing to us is that he doesn't say, well, here you are, now deal with it. He actually offers, offers us a resolution. He gives us a way forward. In the book of James, this is really interesting. Um, James was the brother of Jesus, and he's really, um, man, James, James is like, you sometimes read the book of James, and it's like he had a chip on his shoulder. Like he was just looking for somebody to punch him in the face. Um, he just has this attitude, but I love his directness. But he says something in his book a couple of times. He uses a phrase that's really important for us to understand and, and, and know. Uh, it's James chapter 1, verse 5 is the first place I want you to look. But he says this in verse 1. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I want you to hold on to that word double-minded because he uses it again in chapter 4, verse 8. He says this, again, James is getting serious with people. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded Here's what's really interesting about this word double-minded. It is the Greek word disukos. And if you were here the first week and you took really good notes and you have an amazing memory, then you remember from the first week that there are two words used in the Bible to describe the soul. In the Hebrew Old Testament, there is the word nephesh, and in the Greek New Testament, there is the word sukos. And so here, this word double-minded in the Greek language, James says, you are di as in separated, as in split, sukos. In other words, you might say it this way, you are split-souled as human beings. And the light bulb goes on. This explains so much, right? See, double-minded sounds like you and I are just thinking contradictory thoughts. Like, well, I was thinking about this, and now I'm thinking about this, and we're going back and forth. But when you tell me that I am split-spirited, split-souled, then there's something different that's being said here. That, that means that in this life, there's something completely different happening. It's describing this condition of having two souls that want two very different things. And so we, be, we get disoriented. We get confused. And when we're searching after wholeness or fullness or freedom... The question becomes, well, which soul, if you're living with a split soul, which soul wins? 
Which one decides what is whole and which one decides what is full and which one decides what is free? What does that actually look like? See, in our quest for wholeness, we actually could end up in more fragmentation because we have a split soul. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you've done something and you looked back or you're processing it with a friend and you said, I don't know why I did that. That's not who I am. But is it? If we're split souled, who are we? See, there are things that are true and there are things that are false. And those false things, when we think we'll find freedom, this is one example, when we think we'll find freedom but we pursue that false thing, it actually leads us to bondage. That's the way it works. In fact, in our culture, our ability to have freedom to pursue anything we want can cost us our freedom in our souls. Samson had this unquenchable thirst for Delilah, right? The rich young ruler, unquenchable desire for for money. Um, Saul, coveted power, loses it to David. Over and over again, we see the failure of desire. Think about our unquenched desire. When was the last time? Think about your culture, think about your friends, maybe just think about your own life. When was the last time when you just like recklessly pursued whatever it was you wanted and you went, boy, I feel a lot more whole at the end of all that. I feel really full, like I'm just going to give in to all my reckless desires, and I feel really full after that. Years ago, somebody close to me um, just sort of drove his life off the cliff, you know. Walked away from everything, everyone, his marriage, his kids, the whole thing. And I remember just sitting with him, and I said, what are you doing? Like, what? And you know, my heart was just breaking. What are you doing? And he said, I just need to be true to myself. And I remember in that moment, I just had this momentary glimpse of wisdom, and I just said, which self are you being true to? Which self are you being true to? Now, I didn't tell you um, that the other day when I was on the gorge, I didn't tell you this part of it, that uh, I got pulled over for speeding. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I got a warning. I got a warning. Yeah, some of you are really upset. You're like... Never happens to me. I never get a warning. Here's how I got it. Officer came to the window and said, you know, do you know that you're speeding? And I said, yeah, my soul said speed. <laughs> I just want to be true to myself. And, and I know that the speed limit's 70, but myself, my true self said 83 because I want to get to Spokane. 30, you know, that's what, by the way, yeah, some of you moaned. That's how fast I was going in the snow. Uh, I am your pastor. I know. I just confessed all of this in front of you and you're like disappointed. Some of you, you're going to write emails. It's, you can send it. Never mind. Um, But I didn't explain myself that way. When he came to the window, I didn't say I was just being true to myself. It's how fast I felt like going. No, when he came to the window and said, you know how fast you were going? I said, fast enough you pulled me over. (laughs) And he said, do you have any idea? And I said, honestly, I know I should be doing 70. My guess is I was somewhere over 80. He said 83 to be specific. License and registration. I didn't have my registration. Turns out my license was expired. But the grace of God abounds. <laughs> very nice, very nice sheriff out there in the middle of nowhere. See, we are free to pursue all sorts of things. The laws of this land allow us to pursue all sorts, all sorts of things. We can pursue things in the privacy of our home. We can pursue things in public. But how many of those things that are perfectly legal for you and I to pursue damage our health or ruin a career? or embarrass your family, or wreck your marriage, tear apart a relationship. So we have total freedom to pursue things. And yet at the same time, 
I wonder, do we know that we can't be free from it when we've been so focused on pursuing it? We pursue it and then it holds us in bondage. How many scenarios are we simply being true to ourselves and it works out to wholeness or fullness or freedom? We're split-souled. So how do you address your split-soulness? Well, the answer to the question is the gospel. I'm just going to explain this to you. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew 22, Jesus um, was being asked some questions. And someone said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And Jesus is reemphasizing something that's been said before. But there's this sense of all of us, all of us. And, and Jesus, this is part of why, part of his mission is to say, there's a, a way to resolve this split-souledness. And it's found in the gospel the good news of the gospel is that it is the only thing that I believe addresses this split soul. But, but here's the challenge. This is, this is where we find the, the power of the gospel. But we also have to talk about some things we don't like to talk about in our culture. In our culture, we don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about brokenness. Even though we see it all over the place, we don't like to verbalize it. And even in the church, what we like to do is just emphasize the good stuff of the gospel. God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness. And so we lean into that and say, God is a God of love, and God extends his grace and his forgiveness. And we don't really want to talk about this other stuff. The problem is, it isn't until we address our brokenness, the idea that you and I are broken, which is why we've experienced the grace and the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of God. It's not until we address the brokenness that we have our split-souledness revealed to us. We have to have both aspects of the gospel. The gospel literally says, I'm so broken that someone has to die for me. And it says, absolutely, you're so loved that somebody does. But we're broken. The gospel tells us it's in our brokenness that we actually begin to find life. The pathway to wholeness, the pathway to fullness, the pathway to freedom is found in us acknowledging and being honest about our brokenness. There are times I choose to pursue things that are the opposite of what lead to those things my soul wants. The gospel allows us to acknowledge that. And then when you and I see the love of God expressed in the gospel, when we see what Jesus has done for us, when we look to the cross, the love that we have for him, that changes our desire. The more we understand our brokenness and the love of God existing in this same place, the more our desire, this unquenchable desire, begins to turn towards this God of love. And we say, you know what? I want to pursue you and what you have for me. The pathway, the way that you and I invite the healing and the wholeness of the gospel is by saying yes to the gospel, saying yes to all of the gospel, not just parts of it, but just simply saying, I admit that I'm a broken person. I'm a part of broken humanity, but there is a God who is a God of love. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to offer the benediction to you this morning. May you be men and women who have the courage to acknowledge your brokenness, your split-souledness, and may you also see the love that God has for you. And by the gospel of Jesus Christ, may you experience true wholeness and real fulfillment and tangible freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Have an amazing, amazing week. We'll continue on next Sunday. See you guys later. See you next Sunday.